0: Over the last few weeks, I've been attempting to summarize in one way or another the teaching of Scripture from cover to cover. If at all possible to give a brief synopsis of the Christian gospel, the message in one line or another that will tell us what God thinks we need to know, what he was so concerned to express to his people, over the many hundreds of years that the Bible is being written, what it is when all is said and done, what the bottom line will be, and we need to know from God. We've said there's a new king here, and we need to be his subjects and not rebels against him. We've said that the ransom price has been paid, setting us free as captives. We've said that we've been adopted as children into the very family of God. These are ways in which we can summarize the biblical message. This morning I wish to do so, however, by making the claim that we are not made to die. We are not made to die. And if you understand that, that says it all. If you can unpack why someone would feel like saying we're not made to die and how we can be sure that we will not die, then you will have understood what the Bible has to tell us. You know, death is the greatest misery in human existence. It's also the final question. Uh, If I had the time this morning, I'd like to elaborate uh, embellish on this. Uh, It's amazing how much of our lives are oriented around death. So much of what we do, the reason for what we do in this world, is oriented to death. You stop and think about that. Why do we have traffic laws? Let me start at the mundane. Okay? Nothing subtle and philosophical about this, nothing grandiose. Traffic laws. Why do we have traffic laws? Well, we have traffic laws so that people won't run into each other on the street. Well, why shouldn't people run into each other on the street? Well, because people might get hurt. Why shouldn't people get hurt? Well, because they might die. And so you, now, you understand why we have traffic laws? If there were no death there'd be no need for traffic laws. If there were no death, there'd be no need for policemen. Think of how much we do in our society is geared toward matters of crime and punishment, which have behind them death as the overarching reason, the avoidance of death, make sure that people don't unjustly go to their deaths. A lot of what we do in our society then is just in the most obvious practical way oriented to the question of death. But then again, what we do in our lives, how we use our lives, the vocations we go into. I mean, Why does one want to make money? I, mean, I know I tell my, um, my students at school when they're wondering why they should have to pass a philosophy course, I often tell them a little tongue in cheek, well, you've got to pass philosophy because if you don't, you won't graduate from high school. And if you don't graduate from high school, you won't get a good paying job. And if you don't do a good paying job, you won't be able to buy groceries. And if you can't buy groceries, you won't be able to exist. You'll die. That's why you have to pass the philosophy course. (laughs) Otherwise, you're going to die. (laughs) All right. Well, like I say, that's a little tongue in cheek, but stop and think about it. There are people in this congregation I know, and even beyond this congregation, it's a persistent problem. Many of us get involved in a vocation. And the only reason we stay in that vocation is because we need to survive. Isn't that right? We don't like our jobs. We don't find them meaningful. And if we had the choice between going to Tahiti and going to work, we'd go to Tahiti. There's no doubt about it. We do not do this because we find it life-affirming, dignifying, challenging, ennobling, Activity. We do it because we have to survive, or we have children to take care of, or something like that. But again, why do we have to survive? Again, death looms on the horizon. It's death that governs our society, death that governs our lives. It's death that is our greatest threat and our greatest fear. That's what people fear the most. Moreover, death occasions the most profound reflection about the nature of human existence and its meaning. I don't say this with a sense of glee or pharisaical pride, but you know, as a Christian, I must say that there is some vindication of the truth of the gospel when I see an atheist die, and the family of an atheist have to deal with that. Death does not come easy for anyone. Death doesn't come easy even for Christians who have hope for life beyond the grave. But death comes as a thunderbolt for those who have no hope in God, who don't believe in God. Then we begin to start asking ourselves questions. I think of the existentialists, French existentialists, the philosophers in particular, who, though they could dismiss all of morality, and all notion of an an essence of human nature, or an essence for anything, and affirm the total, random, chance, freedom of the universe and of human life, who could say all of that but still in the face of death, ask, is that not man's final experience? Carl Jaspers, is that the final experience? Is that what finally gives meaning to life, that we die? Is that what makes us so different from the rocks and the celery and the animals? that we die and we're conscious of our death, that man is slime that is oozed out of the slime, and he's going to ooze back into the slime, but for some chance reason, in the midst of that, in this parenthesis, in the meaningless course of the eons, that man is conscious of his misery, what is the meaning of life? Death forces us to think about that. You don't have to be a professional philosopher. You know very well, you've seen this in your family, you've seen it in your own experience when someone dies. We'll have times when, with no one's watching, and you know, we don't, don't want to admit it maybe, but we have times we stop and think, what is it all about? What is going on? Why do we live at all? The biblical message, the Christian gospel, can be summarized in just this way. Against the background of death is our utter misery and profoundest reflection. The Christian wants to say, we were not made to die. We weren't. It's wrong. It's out of place. It doesn't fit. We were not made to die. God did not put us here as some kind of supreme cosmic joke To watch us suffer through a few years to find fleeting moments of happiness, only to have it snuffed out in the end. We were not made to die, we were made to live. We were made to live abundantly, and we were made to live eternally, not made to die. Now, it's very important at this uh, juncture that I distinguish between human death and animal and plant death. If we want to be true to the scriptures and to what we know about uh, the world in which we live, it is important to distinguish between the death of a human and the death of, say, a celery plant or of an aardvark or what have you. It might seem initially obvious to most people that we draw those distinctions just because the loss of a human life is so much more significant than the loss of an animal or a plant. Humans have so much more in the way of intelligence, don't they, in the way of talent, in the way of social relations. The loss of a human being occasions much more evident grief than the loss of a celery plant or a mosquito. And so that distinction seems so obvious, but it's more than just what we've been talking about. More importantly, we distinguish human death from animal and plant death because it seems quite likely, I think, from Scripture that there would have been death in the animal and plant worlds whether or not man fell into sin. It does not appear to me from the teaching of God's Word that death in the simplest biological sense entered the world through man's sin. And the reason for that, if you'll stop and reflect on it, should become, I think, obvious. Biological death outside of man seems to be an important part of the natural and the essential mode of existence of plants and animals. There are many animals that subsist simply by eating other animals. Now, I realize you could say, I don't believe God created those animals until after the fall. Or you could say, I don't believe those animals um, would begin eating other animals until after the fall which is to say, of course, they didn't grow the teeth necessary to eat the other animals until after the fall, which means that all of them would have died out because it would take so long to grow the teeth they wouldn't have been able to eat. But all those sorts of problems aside, I think it's much more obvious, if you stop and reflect on it, that biological death per se is something that is just part of the good cycle of life that God has created for the animal and plant world. Many insects survive by eating and thus killing certain kinds of plants or trees. Indeed, most every living thing, whether an animal or a plant, consists of a biological system where cells are continually dying and being replenished. Death is just part of the cycle of life in that sense. And uh, for that reason... Since we don't believe that nature after man's fall is radically and completely different from nature prior to the fall, I think it seems inescapable to draw the conclusion that biological death occurred before sin entered the world. Nevertheless, Though biological death is part of the good creation that God made in the sense of cells dying, insects eating plants, animals eating plants, animals eating eating one another, though that may be part of the cycle of life as God made it and it was good from the beginning, human death, human death is not good. Human death is not natural. Human death is the result of sin. The Bible indicates that God made the human race to live, to live forever. He did not make the human race originally to die. Death in the human world is not an aspect of God's good creation, as death may be seen in the natural cycle of plants and animals. Death for man must of necessity represent a tragedy, the death of a mosquito or of a celery stock is not a tragedy. But the death of a man is. It's an eternal tragedy because the Bible says man was made in the image of God. Tomatoes and snakes and gorillas. And everything else that is alive in this world may have its place in the cycle of nature, but it does not rise above nature. Every other living thing is but part of the created world. Man is above that. He is but a little lower than the angels, according to the Bible, because he is made in the image of God. Man is God like. Nothing else is that's alive. And so death for man is of necessity a tragedy. And the Bible consistently presents human death as the result of sin, not as man's natural end. We may not know much about the physical body of Adam before he fell into sin, but we do know from Scripture that Adam would not have physically died anyway, whether he rebelled against God or not. Adam would not have died if he had not have sinned. And to understand this, we turn to Romans, the fifth chapter, where I'd like to read for you this morning, verses 12 to 21. Romans 5, beginning at the twelfth verse, Paul says, Therefore, as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death passed into all men, for that all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam unto Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the likeness of Adam's transgression, who was a figure of him that was to come. But not as the trespass, so also is the free gift. For if by the trespass of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound unto the many." And not as through one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment came of one unto condemnation, but the free gift came of many trespasses unto justification. For if by the trespass of the one death reigned through the one, much more shall they that receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one, even Jesus Christ." So then, as through one trespass the judgment came unto all men to condemnation, even so through one act of righteousness the free gift came unto all men to justification of life. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one shall the many be made righteous. And the law came in besides and the tresp- that the trespass might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did abound more exceedingly, that as sin reigned in death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And thus far the reading of God's Word. Paul tells us in the simplest way, indeed he pounds it into our heads over and over again, Death came into this world through sin, and that the sin of one man. Why do we die? What's the answer to the greatest misery? And final question, why do we die? We die because of sin. This takes us back to Genesis, the second chapter verses 16 and 17. Indeed, you can almost hear those words in Genesis 2 echoing through Romans, the fifth chapter, at the end of the chapter that we've just read. Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. And Jehovah God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Adam, life comes from me. Adam, life is to reflect my character, my qualities, my holiness. Adam, you were made as my image. Live as I tell you. Live as I tell you and know life. Know it abundantly. But Adam, in the day that you disobey my word, in the day that you cut yourself off from me, the source of life, in that day you will die. The Hebrew expression is very strong, by the way. And dying you will die. Surely, most certainly, you will die. Obviously, this is a reference to physical death because in Genesis 3.19, as God is recounting the curse of sin. He says to Adam, in the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it thou wast taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. In the day that you eat thereof, you will return to dust. You will die, and you will die physically, but more importantly, you will die spiritually. People often, I think, misunderstand the teaching of God's Word They'll suggest, well, God said they would die, but then, lo and behold, they didn't. That has led some Dutch theologians to say, God extends common grace. He should have executed Adam and Eve right then and there. The fact that he lets them live their lives for a number of years after that is common grace. Well, that is a possibility theologically, although it's not what I believe. I believe the Bible teaches that in the day that they ate, they died. And the reason why I say that is that man is a psychophysical unity. And the physical death that man undergoes is simply an aspect, simply a symptom of the underlying, more fundamental death, which he did experience in the day that he ate of the tree. He experienced spiritual death. When Adam sinned, he passed into a new state, which is dominated by death, and of which state, physical death, is only the token, only the sign. You see, the deepest meaning of life is fellowship with God, our Creator. Accordingly, the fundamental character of death is separation and alienation from God, disruption of fellowship from the source of life and blessing and meaning. In the day that Adam and Eve sinned, they were set apart from God for destruction They were cursed with separation from God and that made their physical death inevitable. For we see spiritual and physical death is involving one another. I really think that's the way we should read it. They were cut off from God in the day they sinned and they died spiritually. And the outward token of that is that their bodies eventually returned to dust. Well, what this tells us then is that we were not made to die. God did not create man as naturally dying, as having some kind of terminus that is to be expected. It was because of Adam's sin that every human being is now born in a state of spiritual death, and that spiritual death has become our natural condition. We see that in Romans 5. We've read it. Sin entered the world through one man, and death by sin. We see it in Romans the 8th chapter, verse 10 where Paul says, if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. You notice this shows that the seeds of death are in our physical body, and our physical body is bound to die eventually because of sin. Even those who are born again, those who spiritually have life from God, their bodies are dead because of sin. Death has come into this world because of sin. It's just an unavoidable biblical conclusion. In Ephesians, the second chapter, Paul says, And you he made alive when you were dead through trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That point is underscored in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21. For as by a man came death, By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, the reference here being to that man Adam whose sin brought death into the human experience. And now over against all this abundant biblical evidence, the amazing thing is there are modern theologians who want to naturalize death. There are modern theologians who would tell us death is not the result of sin. Death is part of man's natural experience. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Modern theology says no way. According to modern theologians, we were indeed made to die, and in this way the ever-present and persistent fact of human death need not torment us, need not threaten us that God is wrathful toward our sin. Well, it's not just modern theology. Let me go back to the 5th century where Celestius, the leader of the Pelagian movement at that time, taught that Adam was created naturally mortal, that he would have died anyway, whether guilty of sin or not. Socinius at the time of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, taught a similar view. But modern theologians have been particularly pointed in this, teaching that death is simply a natural consequence, the outcome of life for man. Reinhold Niebuhr, in his book, The Nature and Destiny of Man, presented death as simply part of God's good creation. What I said about celery stalks and mosquitoes, Niebuhr says about you. Death is just part of the cycle of life. It's quite unobtrusive, quite unbothersome. The leading unorthodox theologian of our age, Karl Barth, said that God planned from the outset that man's life on earth should have an end. He said man was destined to emerge from non-existence, spend a limited number of years on earth, and then return again to non-existence. And thus it's only natural that man dies. Indeed, I'm going to quote for you here. Bart um, wrote that it belongs to human nature and is determined and ordered by God's good creation, and to that extent is right and good, that man's being in time should be finite and man himself mortal. In itself, therefore, it is not unnatural, but natural for human life to run its course, to ebb and fade. And how such sentiments may temporarily calm our fears and relieve our troubled reflections about death, but not for long. I think psychologically, man simply cannot naturalize, cannot accept death as inevitable, There's something that bothers us about it. There's a tormenting and terrifying suspicion that this is not the way things were meant to be. That physical death is not right and certainly not the end to consciousness. And therefore, in our heart of hearts, we know that death is, as a matter of fact, judgment from God and that beyond physical death lies an even greater expression of God's wrath toward our sin. Now, modern theology doesn't want to face a wrathful God. Modern theology doesn't want to believe that God demands satisfaction for sin. doesn't want to believe that God must be propitiated, that His wrath is turned aside. doesn't want to believe that we need to be adopted into God's family rather than naturally all belonging to Him. Modern theology doesn't want these hard teachings of the Bible, but they are in the Bible. They are part of what God has told us, and we cast them aside to our eternal perdition. We must deal with this. God did not expect for man to die. That was not what he was made for. And yet man, by endorsing rebellion and disobedience, has come under the curse of death. You can't explain Genesis 3.19 except in light of that. Here God is detailing the curse of sin upon the serpent, upon the woman, and upon man. And he says, from dust you came to dust you shall now return. The inescapable, biblical, and I think psychological fact is that death is a curse resulting from sin. And that curse is not limited to physical death. There is an eternal death an eternal separation from God in torment which lies beyond physical death. You say, now that's how you want to summarize the Christian message, pastor? We were not meant to die, but woe is us, we're going to anyway. Is that the message? No. no the message is gloriously this. We were not made to die, and those who believe in Jesus Christ will not die. The good news that we receive from God, as we see it in Romans the fifth chapter, is that as in Adam all have become under death and its curse, so in Jesus Christ the gift of life and grace abound unto believers. We can't look at the entire passage this morning, but just look at verse 15. But not as the trespass, so also as the free gift. For if by the trespass of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound unto the many. Verse 17 For if by the trespass of the one death reigned through the one, much more shall they that receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one, even Jesus Christ. Verse 21 that as sin reigned in death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the one act of righteousness, Christ's spotless life leading to his death upon the cross, that act of dying for sinners upon the cross, in the eyes of God, counteracts Adam's act of sinning unto death. As Adam tried to live unto himself and achieved death, so Christ was willing to sacrifice himself and achieve for himself and for us life. Do you have the two counterbalancing one another? Adam on the one hand bringing death into the human experience, Christ dying for sinners bringing life, eternal life, into the experience of God's people. You see, the Bible says Christ died for our sins, and that therefore our sins will no longer bring their natural wages death. The natural consequence of eternal separation from God has been now canceled Yes, our bodies, because of Adam's sin, will die, but now death is entrance into glory for us, not entrance into eternal separation from God. Now, the, the stroke of irony is that death becomes our entrance into life. And so that the one who had the power of death, Satan, was in fact killed by the one who died. Or as John Owen put it so well in the glorious title of that work on redemption, the death of death in the death of Jesus Christ. When Christ died, death died. When Christ died, the sting of death was taken away. Because when Christ died, eternal separation from God was canceled. No longer will that consequence of my sin be visited upon me if I trust in Jesus Christ. And though our bodies will undergo death, as Romans 8.10 says, our spirits are alive because of righteousness, a righteousness imputed to us by Jesus Christ the Savior. Because Christ was righteous, however, and because he died with my sins upon him and did not die as the consequence of his own. Because Christ was righteous, death could not hold him. He rose from the grave. And so you notice what Paul says in Romans 6, 9. Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Christ went into the state of death, bearing my sins, but as the righteous one burst the bands of death, came forth from the grave, and no longer does death have dominion over him. Well, how much more, then, those who are joined to Christ in faith? If we are in Christ if we have the benefits of His death and resurrection brought to us by His Father, death no longer has dominion over us either. 2 Timothy 1.10 says that He abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. And that means the hope of resurrection is ours. We were not made to die, and in Christ we will not die. Right now, I am alive. Ephesians 2 says, God made me alive by faith in Jesus Christ. And not only am I alive spiritually. Romans 8:11 tells me that if the spirit of life lives in me spiritually now, my body will be raised to life in the future. That even though I will go into the into the grave, my body will not stay there. Jesus rose from the dead and I must rise from the dead so that the hope of resurrection, spiritual resurrection now, physical resurrection in the future is mine. In Jesus Christ. And so what is the Christian message? Do you want to put it very simply? We were not made to die, and in Christ we will not. We will live and live and live. Even in death, Jesus says, I will live. Death doesn't represent an entering into eternal condemnation for the believer. Death has lost its sting, according to First Corinthians fifteen. Indeed, Paul is so bold as in 1 Corinthians 3 to say all things are yours, whether the world or life or death, all are yours and you are Christ. Death no longer possesses me, I possess it. Death is no longer my last enemy because Christ has conquered it. And so Paul can say with such assurance, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21 Indeed, in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so at this point, death for us, as for the dying thief, if you recall, death for us means but entering paradise. This day you will be with me in paradise. We will enter into the very presence of God to enjoy life and blessing in preparation for resurrection life for all eternity. At this point, death looks forward to the resurrection when our bodies will be raised indestructible and glorified. Indeed, for the believer, we look forward to the new Jerusalem when on the day of judgment we will enter into the kingdom of God. In Revelation 21, 4 says, And death will be no more. We were not made to die. And in Christ, we will not die. Death has been defeated. The last enemy has been put down. It has been abolished. And in the new Jerusalem, it shall be no more. So this morning, this morning, I wonder if you want to stop dying and start living. The Bible tells us very simply, without any humor about it, that we are, as it were, zombies. Dead people that are walking around. Spiritually dead, and yet we carry out our daily functions. Spiritually, inwardly dead, and yet living separated from God. Spiritually, not alive at all, and eternally facing the wrath and curse of God. So this morning, do you want to stop dying? you want to stop being a zombie, spiritually speaking? In John the 5th chapter, verse 24, Jesus said, Truly, truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him that sent me has eternal life and comes not into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Do you want that life? Or do you want to keep reflecting and brooding and pondering over what can it all mean, Alfie? What is life all about? Why do we die? The Christian answer is, you were not made to die. Sin brought that into the picture. But in Jesus Christ, the curse of sin has been canceled. And those who hear the word of Jesus Christ can now, today, leave the realm of death and join the land of the living. I hope you join us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being the Lord of life. Thank you for being bigger than death. Thank you for coming into this world and facing death right in the face and destroying it. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for rising from the grave. Thank you for abolishing death and its consequences in our experience so that we no longer fear it as your people, but believing in you and trusting in your redemptive work on our behalf. We can say with Paul that to die is gain, that we might live with you forever. Thank you for the hope of the resurrection that we not only experience now spiritually, but will enjoy physically in the future when you will raise us from the grave and we will, as resurrected and glorified saints, live with you forever in that new Jerusalem where death is no more. Oh, Father, thank you for being so sovereign and so powerful so loving and kind, merciful and gracious as to restore us to our original intention that we should not know death. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.